Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, let's let's dig into uh, the story week number seven. Uh, we're going to do a quick recap of week number six, and I want to do so by reading uh, pages 86 and 87 in this story book. And this is coming out of Deuteronomy 9, Deuteronomy 30, um, two different places. But I want to read to us this because this is, this is the commission that, um, that Moses is giving to God's people as they are on the very threshold of entering the promised land. And of all of God's promises coming true, God's provision for them coming out of Egypt, coming through the Red Sea, the, the 40 years in the wilderness and everything else, they're finally being, the, the promises of God are finally being realized by his people. And here Moses is, is commending the people to the Lord and really encouraging them and pointing them back to God again. And so I just want to read for us this because it's an, it's a, an important understanding of, of, of what they've been through, but also what God is bringing them into. And so let's begin looking at this is the second paragraph on page 86 of the story. This is in Deuteronomy 9. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are stiff-necked people. Right? That's really encouraging. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw these great trials, those signs and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. Yet the Lord says, During the forty years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. And now that I am command, commanding you today, it is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up to heaven, so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. This is Moses' charge. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. 
This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Moses in this In his last section with his people, it's like his final farewell address to God's people. And he's saying, choose life, follow the Lord, entrust yourselves to him fully, for he is your life. Don't turn away to follow other gods, because if you do, there will come a a discipline on you from the Lord, that he will remove you from the land, and that you will be destroyed. Man, it's a serious charge to his people. Now, we go from there, and now we get to the Moses passes away. Moses dies. He's taken up. And the people, Joshua, becomes their leader. And so we're going to begin in the book of Joshua. And this period of time is about 1400 B.C. And so we've got a couple of maps. I don't know if the maps are available. So that's where we are in the, in the, in the, in the world here. We're in the Middle East and um, just north of, uh, of Egypt. And Joshua and the people are going to cross over the Jordan River and they're going to go into Jericho. And so this is where the promised land is. Now there's the next slide. Um, that's kind of where we're going to be looking at today, that red circle. So uh, that's the area that we're going to be looking at and the people of God are going to be um, possessing in the promised land there. So in the very beginning of Joshua, Joshua was Moses' aide. He was his helper and he became then the leader of the nation of Israel. And Joshua was just a, a mighty man of, of the Lord, and, and, and so he followed God wholeheartedly. If you remember back when they sent out the 12 spies into, into the promised land to, to take a look at things before, before the 40 years of wandering, there was 12 spies, 10 of which came back and said, man, there's no way this is ever going to happen. There was two spies that said, you know what, this is an impossible task, but the Lord is with us. Joshua was one of those two spies, Joshua and Caleb. And so Joshua now is leading the people of God. He, is, he, is, he was one of the original 12 spies. He's been with the Israelites in the 40 years of wandering through the desert. Now he's leading God's people. This book of Joshua raises a lot of theological questions about the destruction of the people in the land of God's promise. And so I provided for, for us uh, a couple of handouts that you may have sat on or uh, should be around you. Um, hopefully they're not turned into paper airplanes just yet. But uh, I didn't write this, okay? It says Pastor John on the bottom. I didn't write it. That's Pastor John Piper. Um, I wish I would have written this. <laughs> it's really good. But I thought we're not going to have the time this morning to get into all the theological understanding of, of, of why the destruction took place and why it was the, the people and the cities burned and, and all these things. However, I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to, I don't want to bypass this, but I do want to provide some understanding. And so I provide this for us as a church. Uh, if you've got questions over this, please feel free to ask me afterwards. But um, we're not going to have the time to go into why this took place and, and why was the destruction so total. But we're going we're gonna to continue on. So 
So what happens is they get to Jericho. The children of Israel are going to attack Jericho for the, for the, for the very... They, they cross into the promised land. This is the very beginning. This is day one. They cross the, the Jordan River, and they, they go in. And so what, what Joshua does is send a couple spies into the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a walled city. It was a, it was a fortress. Man, this thing was, this thing was impenetrable. And so these two men come into the city, and they, they kind of spy out the city to check it out. And they, they need a place to stay for the night because they don't, want to, they don't want to be seen, and they want to kind of stay undercover. So where do two foreign guys who are visiting the city for the first time, where can they find refuge that wouldn't be too obvious that they were out-of-towners? Well, they find a house of a prostitute. And so they stay, they stay at the prostitute's home, Rahab, uh, the, the leaders of the city get wind of what's going on. So they, they show up at Rahab's house and they say, look, we understand that there's some Israelites that have come by and they're, they're with you. And so Rahab had hidden the Israelite spies on a roof and told the, the people, the officials of Jericho, that, you know what, they left a long time ago. If you, if you take off now, you can maybe catch up with them. Well, the Israelites were spared. They were let down. They were, um, they were able to escape. And so um, from there... Joshua and the Israelites cross over the Jordan River, attack Jericho. They, they march around it for seven days. It's, it's an amazing story in the, in the Bible, and I hate to just kind of go through it so quickly. But they march around the city. They, they give a shout to the Lord. The wall collapses. The Israelites go in, and they take the city. And that was the first military campaign, really. It was against Jericho. From there, we read chapter after chapter of two different campaigns. There was a a northern campaign and a southern campaign where they basically systematically walked through and they eliminated all of the, the foreign or all of the, the people in the land who were coming against them. And so the two military campaigns, there was five kings in the south, 14 kings in the north that they had a battle. And so much of the book of Joshua is given over to describing these various battles. Because every battle that the Israelites faced, they had to wait on God to hear his direction and his purpose for what they had to do. Because some cities, they were, like Jericho, they had, to, they had to completely destroy the city. They had to burn it to the ground. There was nothing they were able to take out of it, whether it was gold or clothing or anything. God said, I want you to completely destroy this thing. Whereas other cities, they had to go in and they were able to take plunder and some of it they had to give to the Lord, some of it... They're able to keep to themselves. And so cities were destroyed, but they had to keep on moving and keep on moving and keep on moving. And so the, much a big portion of the book of Joshua that we're looking at today is the story of, of battles and war and hardship and, and struggle that the Israelites had to face once they did enter into God's promised land. Now, I wanted to say this about taking the promised land as well, and then we'll kind of get into what we're talking about. One of the things that we read this morning was that the Israelites were going in to take the promised land and had to destroy the inhabitants of the promised land because of the wickedness of the people in the land. This wasn't just some kind of arbitrary, just go in and wipe everyone out. There was a judgment from God that came on the people in the land. And what the people were involved with was some very serious wickedness. They, would, they, would, they worshipped uh, a God in which they would burn their children um, to this God. And so they would take their children and, and, and put them in a fire and burn their children to death. 
They were also using uh, prostitution and worship to their God. And so God very clearly tells the children of Israel, hey, look, just so you know, you're going in there as my instruments of, of judgment against the people in the land. And so it was very clear that, that God was saying, look, we're, I am removing these people from the land because of their, their wickedness and disobedience and defiance against the Lord. But secondly, God was also wanting to establish an identifiable people. God was saying, I'm going to root an identifiable people in an identifiable place so that they would be my, my hands and feet and be my, my, um, my people of mission and blessing to the rest of the world. So I'm going to root you in this place. And so it goes back to this Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, where God says to Abraham, look, I'm going to make your descendants a blessing to the whole world. So now God is establishing a people in a place, in a land, in, in time, that they would be a blessing to the rest of the world. Okay? Now, this brings us back to our upper story, lower story understanding. We've talked about the upper story, lower story quite a bit. But the way we understand this as we look through the story is that there's, an, there's a lower story going on, meaning that there are things happening all around us in everyday life. So for the Israelites, their story, their lower story, was that there is turmoil and battles and hardship and things going on all around them throughout this whole campaign, this military campaign that, was, that they had to work through, that they had to live through. But there's also an upper story, whereas this is from God's perspective what's happening. And through all of this, God is creating a people who would have to depend upon him at every turn in the road. That no matter what happened, no matter what Israel did, where they went, where they would establish themselves, they had to depend upon God at every turn in the road. No matter what they did, they had to go to the Lord and say, God, what would you have me do next? How are we going to take this city? God, where would you have us, be, where would you have us establish ourselves? Where is it that you want us to go? God was creating within his people a dependency upon him that they would have to depend upon God every step of the way. But the Israelites' struggle and their toil and their battles and the things that they had to go through, it also gives a bit of contours to the walk of our, of our lives as well, to the walk of Christians. Our lives today are still filled with toil and hardship and suffering and loss I mean, our lives are filled with these things. It, 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 it consumes most of our lives. When you, think, when you open the newspaper and you begin to read about Ebola, what's happening in the Middle East, what's, what's going on in, with Boko Haram, and, and just all these things around our world today, there is tremendous suffering in the world. There is tremendous hardship in the world. And we seem to be somewhat insulated from it, but it, it's, it's not... But we, yet we still experience some real hardships in our life. And I think about even, even um, Ted Hammett this week. He's experiencing some, the most tremendous hardship he's ever experienced his entire life. This, this experience of suffering and hardship, it really gives shape and contour to our lives today as well. And see, what God is doing in all of this is God is creating a people who are going to depend upon him at every turn in the road. God is creating within us 
God's creating within his people a dependency upon him that no matter where we go or what we do or who we're with, God is creating us to depend upon him at every turn in the road. There is a need for God. We need the Lord. We need God in our lives. We need him to direct our steps. We need him to walk alongside us. We need him to give us strength for the day. We need him to give us grace when we fail. We need him to to clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need him to to stand with us and alongside us. We need him to, to, to lift us up in his hands. We need the Lord. Just like the Israelites. They needed the Lord. They needed a complete and absolute dependency upon God at every turn in the road. And we find the Israelites bucking against that, saying, look, we'll do things our own way. Man, the wheels would fall off the cart pretty quick. They needed the Lord, just like we today need the Lord. I want to just invite Liz Griffin up. We're going to just uh, just have a little conversation with, with, with Liz this morning and for many of us um, who've been to church here for a while, Liz is, just a, is a very, very dear friend. And, um, and so she has been through a, a, quite an amazing journey these past few months. And I thought it would be helpful for us as a church just to kind of hear what God has been doing in her life and the things that God has been showing her. So uh, Liz is married to Tim. Uh, they've got three wonderful, for, wonderful children and uh, they've been just a tremendous support for all of us here in the church. So, Liz, would you just share with us what your journey has looked like these past few months? All right. My heart's pounding, so that's a good thing. <laughs> um, for those of you don't, that don't know, I was diagnosed with um, breast cancer the last week of June. Um, I had gone in for just my regular mammogram, but I had felt something and had pointed that out to the doctor, and so she sent me in, and for the first time, I was given a note at the end of my mammogram ultrasound that said um, it was suspicious for malignancy that I needed to come back, and um, so I just... um, so, you know, being the typical me, I, I got on the phone, I called the doctor, I got things set up, I I went um, to school to tell Tim about it, and, you know, and I I prayed a little bit, you know, but <clears throat> but we um, we prayed right away about the situation, Tim just prayed for us, and um, and then, yeah, within 15 minutes or so, I just, I just had this peace, you know, that came over me, that it was okay, it was going to be okay no matter what. Um, on the way home... You know, we started the journey with just this whole journey has been clothed in prayer. We stopped at Ken and Peggy Boone's house. Uh, the next day we went to John and Ruth's house before we knew the results. And um, John just gave me a verse. <laughs> and uh, John, the Lord gives John verses, you know. And so he went to the Bible and he opened up Romans 4, verse 19. I got to get my glasses on here. And... Uh, He said, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. uh, I'm sorry, was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And at first I was like, really? That was the verse the Lord gave (laughs) you? 
<laughs> he was as good as dead, and this is going to encourage me. Um, so I was a little confused by that, but um, <laughs> but that Friday, um, I got the call that changed my life. Um, the doctor who had done the biopsy said, yes, it's confirmed, it's malignant. Uh, but I talked to your primary doctor, your ob and the surgeon, and the surgeon's going to call. And within 10 minutes, the surgeon called, and she left a message because I was still at work and gave me her home phone, her cell phone number. And after work, I went over to Tim, and we called her together, and she said, you know, this is early. Don't go to dark places. You know, it's going to be okay. You know, minimum is this. And, uh, and because I'm premenopausal, I, there was a window of time that I needed to have an MRI done, and, and it was just the Lord working, you know, because I'm Friday, this is a Friday, late afternoon, and by Monday, my window of opportunity is gone, so they got right on it, and my MRI was scheduled for Monday, and, you know, right away that day, I got a call, and I'm like, this is not good, she's calling me already today, and she said, well, there were some more areas that are suspicious, but but still, even if all of these are cancerous, it's still early, you know. So, so I was encouraged by that, and that gave me some faith. Um, but, you know, and then we went and met with her and the plastic surgeon and um, just leading up to the surgery. And, um, you know, just the whole step of the way, just people praying. I'm a texter. You know, I'm not a Facebooker yet. I'm going to be soon. But... <laughs> So a lot of you would get my text, you know, what's going on, this is where we're at, pray for this. And so the day of surgery came, and, uh, you know, I had a mastectomy that day. And uh, what meant a lot was that Johnny and Joe actually were there with Tim and the boys, and they were able to come in and pray. Uh, My surgeon... ...was there... was huge. That was the first surgery I went into crying. But uh, still, you know, I thought it was okay. I knew it was going to be okay. And, and uh, But that just meant a lot to have them there. And then Yemi came that day and, and um, to be with the guys. But, you know, I was really hopeful that, um, that this would be it, that my um, sentinel node mapping would be negative, um, but it showed I had two positive lymph nodes, and um, so I got a little discouraged by that, um, you know, but just the Lord just helped me get out of that because <laughs> um, the day after I got home from the surgery, um, Tim ended up taking Ryan to ER. Um, our youngest son for he was having chest pain and um, so that just helped me to to stop having a pity party for myself and just step in it as a mom you know and um, and so we're still in process with uh, Ryan's heart so as I'm going through this you know Ryan's going through um, testing for his heart uh, the next step is a stress test and then maybe an angiogram um you know, but somebody sent me uh, a text on my phone, you know, when we were going through this. And and it was, Joshua, <laughs> do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. And um, 
Uh, we've, you know, been blessed by so many people with cards and, and words of encouragement and flowers and uh, getting to know other people who are walking and have gone through this journey has been an encouragement. And um, so I'm ready for the next question. Okay. No, um, <laughs> Sorry, I was no, trying to minimize that. No, it's okay. What, Liz, what have you mm. learned about God in the middle of all of this? So, um, some of the things I wrote down were, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Um, I'm not strong in myself, but, but with him I know that, that it's possible and that, um, that he gives me the courage and the strength to, to move forward. Um, my faith is firm because the Lord is my rock and my salvation. He does not change. His love endures forever. He is sovereign as uh, John Sr. shared a few weeks ago about Psalm 139, um, just that, you know, all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. You know, I was knit and formed in my mother's womb, and and so nothing's a coincidence. Um, he, he is the author and perfecter of my faith, um, you know, that we're justified when we... Um, become believers, but it's the sanctification that continues, um, that really makes us more into the image of his son. And so I am being sanctified a little bit more right now. And uh, that he is my shepherd who guides and directs my path. And, um, and Joanna shared that verse also, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, uh, what are what have some of the temptations been for you in these past few months? I think um, the main thing, you know, obviously is just fear initially. You know, when you get the diagnoses, you know, it's like, uh, am I going to make it through the surgery? Am I going to be a survivor? Um, you know, and uh, just thinking about your family. And, and um, so that's obviously... Um, part of the journey and then just anxious at times not very many times um, you know just getting the the news about having the two positive lymph nodes and then after surgery during my healing you know just praying for my um, skin to rejuvenate and to take um, you know I was concerned about that and then also um, the most recent has just been the the therapy coming up, you know, so surgery's not enough, you know, I know that, and so then it's deciding, you know, they were, everybody was um, unanimous about, you know, I need radiation therapy, but the chemo, they weren't <clears throat> sure about, I mean, but standard still is positive nodes chemo, and uh, I've just really felt the Lord um, would have me do the chemo, so I will be starting that in a couple weeks. So that would be a whole new step. I don't know what that entails. Um, and then the radiation and then hormone therapy after that. Um, but just overall, um, just want to let you know that Tim and I have both had an underlying peace the whole time, you know, that we've been through this journey. I am sleeping well. You know, there's only been two or three nights that I haven't, that I've had trouble sleeping, but... That I am getting rest, and I'm resting in the Lord because He's He's got this. So. Amen, Amen. Can we just pray for Liz, Lord Jesus? We we thank you for Liz and just her testimony of your faithfulness, God. Lord, we pray 
in the name of Jesus, that you would continue to bring healing into her body, continue to touch her, continue to strengthen her, continue to uh, let her faith remain strong. And, and Lord, we pray that as a church we would support and help in any way we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Liz. Appreciate it. Can we just thank Liz for her openness and sharing with us? Turn over to page 99, or if you have your Bibles, to Joshua 11, verse 23. And after all that they had experienced, after just the battles and the wars and the hardship they experienced, we read in verse 23 of Joshua 11. This is the second to last chapter on the... Yeah, second to last uh, paragraph on page 99. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses. And he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. Then the land had rest from war. After 400 years in Egypt... After centuries and generations and generations of of enslavement, of crossing the Red Sea, of 40 years wandering in the desert, of the battles, hardships, labor, toils, the discipline of God upon them, the, the, the waiting for God to continue to deliver them, there is finally a rest for God's people. That finally in this one place, finally God has said, that's enough, there's rest. This is what God's people have been longing for this entire time. There has been generation after generation after generation who have known no rest. And now finally, finally, after all that they had experienced, after everything they had gone through as a people, finally now at this point God says, now you have rest. See, this is our experience as well. There is a restlessness amongst the world around us. People are longing for rest. There is no rest to be found. Even in our own spirit, even in our own lives, there is a restlessness. That as much as we want to throw ourselves into work, or into bigger families, or into a home, or into restoring cars or into hobbies or into whatever it may be to find a place of rest, we can't find it there. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 16.33, says, in this world, you will have trouble. He's, not, he's saying, look, there's going to be trouble ahead. There is going to be a restlessness that you are going to experience on this earth. But he says, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. And that somehow in Jesus Christ, we find a rest. That we live in a world that is without rest. The people around us are restless. The the world we live in is restless. Our families are restless. and we, We ourselves, we long for this rest. We long for a rest 
but it's only found in Jesus Christ. See, the Israelites in this, in this moment, they find rest. That after everything they've experienced, after centuries and centuries and generation after generation of people, finally now they experience rest, but it was only short-lived. We're going to look in the book of Judges next week, and we're going to find that this rest dissipates pretty quick. That they may have experienced some rest, but this rest is not a rest that is permanent. It is only in Jesus Christ that we can find our ultimate rest. And for eternity, our rest will be found in him. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this. This is the words of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That somehow in the midst of all the turmoil of our lives, of of all of our experiences of loss and suffering and hardship, that somehow in Jesus Christ, that through His work, through His obedience, that through His perfect work for us on the cross, that in Jesus Christ we can find a rest. And I think so often in my own life, I think, well, if I could only just get eight hours of sleep a night, if I could just get children who, are, who are, would be obedient all the time, if, if I could have a house that was clean, if I could have a church that was, that was perfect, then I'd have rest. But that's where Jesus Christ said, that's not where it's found. You can search and search and search and search for the rest of your life for this rest. And apart from Jesus Christ, it won't be found. It's in the finished work of Jesus Christ that we find our rest. It's in the finished work of, it's in his work that we rest. It's because he has worked for us on our behalf. Because he became for us the sacrifice that was necessary. It's because he took our sin and shame and guilt and restlessness upon his body that we could find rest in him. It's in Jesus Christ that we find our rest. And I think how often in my own life I think if I, would only, if I could only get a longer vacation, if I could only just maybe zone out and watch some TV or catch this movie or spend a little more time on my phone and I can just kind of push away the distractions of this world, then I'll get some rest. But those things never bring me rest. And it's never, it's never a rest that is long-term. It's always short-lived. Our rest is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. I want to just communicate a couple of things and then we're going to close. In Jesus Christ, he's provided for us means of grace. Meaning he's provided for us ways in which we can experience his presence in our lives and the hope that we have in him. Three things that I think are extremely helpful for us to be able to walk in this rest. First thing is this that we would be people of the word, that we would be people of God's word. When the Israelites took the city of Jericho, God had specifically said, look, I want everything to be destroyed. Take nothing for yourselves. Well, one guy said, you know what? No one's looking. I'm going to take, take some stuff for myself. I'm going to 
I'm going to bring it to my tent. I'm not going to let anyone know. Disobeying God's word. And after that, Israel suffered a huge military defeat. They finally realized it's because one person had decided to take some things and disobey God's word and do things their own way. So what what does Joshua do with all the people? He opens God's word in Joshua 8 and he reads the entire book of the law. I mean, he says, look, we need to get back to this. What is God saying to us? I think in my own experience, God's word has been a source of great grace to me. Been a place where I found mercy. Been a place where my life has been recalibrated. That no matter what has gone on in my life or the things I've said or what I've done, somehow God's word through his spirit brings a recalibration to my life that it gets me thinking rightly. It points me in the right direction. It, it takes my thoughts and, and it, it makes sense of what's going on in my life. It helps me to see Jesus Christ where I'm at. And so I am so thankful that God has given us His Word. And that's one of the reasons we're going through this series of the, of the entire Bible in 31 weeks. We want to be people of the Word. We need to be getting into this thing and experiencing God's grace through it. That God would somehow take where we are in our lives and recalibrate us so that we would see Him and know Him and experience His presence and His life living in us. For me, it, it, it simply means before I go to bed at night, whatever else I've done that day or whatever else I've read in the Word that day, at night I've got a Bible reading plan, this app that I have on my Kindle that I just get to and I read God's word every single night before I go to bed. No matter what I've done that day, there's, there's this anchor in my life that's God's word that, that helps me before I go to bed that night to make sense of the rest of my day and helps me prepare for the next day. God's word is this anchor. And it was for God's people then, it's for God's people today. Secondly, this, it's a means of grace to us how we find rest in Jesus' finished work, that we would be a people of prayer. That we would be a people of prayer. There's no shortcut to this one. There's no quick and easy way forward but to labor in prayer. And sometimes it's, it's, it's great. Sometimes it's calling out to God in the middle of the mess that we're in. Sometimes it's getting up in the morning and spending time with Him. It, it, it takes all different shapes and different ways. But prayer as well has been, a, been an anchor for my life. Been a way in which my relationship with Jesus Christ has grown. It doesn't happen apart from prayer. If we want to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ, if we want to fellowship and commune with Him, God has given us the means of prayer to do that. I want to encourage you, pray. When I think about the, the, the lives of the people in this church, the precious people that God has brought into our family here, it is a profound privilege to pray for each one of you week in and week out.
takes a few hours, but it's a privilege. God will give me the opportunity to pray for you, pray for your kids, pray for your welfare, pray for your families, pray for your walk with him. I would say this, it has... been a way in which God has given me a deeper affection for him and it's given me a deeper affection for you I don't think there would be any other way for that to happen apart from the means of prayer going to God on behalf of one another and so I want to encourage you how do we find a rest in Jesus Christ? We are people of prayer. We somehow find a rest, just like Mary and Martha. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. There was a rest. She found in communing and fellowship with Jesus. Lastly, number three, how do we find this rest in Jesus Christ today? We are a people who identify with God. We are a people who identify with with Almighty God. And in Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, before the Israelites were to continue taking the promised land, they had to, fortunately for us, we don't have to do this, but the Israelites had to, all the males had to be circumcised. And it was a way in which it was a sign of identifying themselves with the Lord. Thankfully now the Lord does the circumcision of our hearts, which brings us to the Lord, which we identify with God but it's the way in which God says, as my people, you are to be people who identify yourselves with me. That your allegiance, that your, your life, that your identity is now rooted in Almighty God. And we have that in Jesus Christ. That no matter where we go or, or what we do or what job we work at or what street we live on or who our friends are, our identity is that we belong to God. And that we are His people whether we're here in Munster, Indiana, or someplace far away, our identity never changes. We belong to Him. So much so that when, when the things around us are taking place, when people are talking and mocking the Lord, and things are going on that, that break God's heart, we say, look, because we belong to God, we don't identify with those things. We don't partake in those things. We don't we don't say those things. We, we identify ourselves with the Lord and in His ways and in His purposes. And so for Israel, it's important for them to realize we belong to God and we identify with Him. For us today, it's the same thing. We belong to Jesus. And so although we may experience much hardship in this life, and although we may experience some some rest, and our rest may be short-lived. Even as God's people, there is, there is hardship, as Jesus said. There is hardship ahead. Don't be surprised. There is hardship ahead. You may find some rest in the middle of this hardship, but our ultimate rest, our permanent rest, is not in this world. First Peter 1, 3-5 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
and into an, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. Our ultimate hope, our ultimate rest, our ultimate peace is found in heaven with Jesus Christ for eternity. And so as we look forward in this life, we realize, we, we acknowledge, just like Liz Griffin has done, look, there is hardship in my life, but I may experience rest now and permanent rest in eternity. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in eternity with God. That is where we find our ultimate rest. I want to encourage us today that we would identify ourselves with God, that we would find a rest now in Him, but that our hope is in an ultimate rest in Jesus Christ through eternity. And that somehow in this life, just like the Israelites experienced, it was hardship and toil punctuated by rest, but that in Jesus Christ we have all that we need. He stands with us in every trial. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this this morning for the gift of life. Jesus, thank you for the gift of rest. That now we can rest in your finished work. That because you have experienced a restlessness, we can experience rest. And God, although we may also experience, we will experience trouble and hardship in this life, God, we know that you are with us. And we know that this place is not our home. That we find our rest in your perfect presence for eternity. Jesus, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you. Help us to find our place and our rest in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.